love you, Jesus. Thankful that we get to be together. Would you be with us? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Drew. Every time that I prepare for Sunday, my experience is a little bit different. And this time around, uh, in preparing to share with you this morning, um, I had kind of a rough go of it. I'm just going to be real honest with you. And um, I had a very difficult time kind of uh, taking what I knew was kind of the, 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 the primary concept and then putting it out in a way that I could share with you. So this, this morning is going to be a little bit different, not anything significant, but let me prep you ahead of time. What I'm going to do this morning is going to be less like uh, uh, Sunday morning preaching and more like a devotional. And here's what I mean by the difference. I actually don't have parallel points this morning, you know, like one, two, three, A, B, C. Uh, this morning, um, I kind of only have one thing that I'm driving at, but my goal this morning is actually to bring conviction to something that you probably already kind of know and are aware of, but need to be reminded of again, just like I need to be reminded of it again. Fair enough? So if you're taking notes and you normally put your paper into blocks, I don't know what to tell you. You're just going to have to like, you know. So what I want to do is I want to catch you up on the story. So we've been talking about God meeting with his people at Sinai, inviting them into a relationship. Remember, he said, you saw what I did on your behalf. Uh, and then he invites them into a relationship with him, and then he lays out the conditions for that relationship. Once they've said yes, he, he explains the terms of their covenant. Uh, I'm actually officiating a wedding this afternoon, and it's exactly the same timeline. Uh, there was a history, they fell in love, and then there was an invitation into relationship, and then today they will say before their friends the, the covenant terms of that relationship. They'll agree to those covenant terms, right? This is a special relationship. So God sent the plagues, delivered his people out of Egypt, parted the waters, they walked through the waters, and then he returned the waters over there uh, the Egyptian army, and they were destroyed. And now, they're at Sinai, and they get to meet for the first time this God who has been working so powerfully on their behalf. He wants to meet with them. And so he says to Moses, I want you to tell the people to consecrate themselves today and tomorrow. He doesn't entirely explain what that means, but we know that it meant two things. He said, actually, one of the things is, I want you to wash your clothes and then he actually says, and husbands and wives, I want you to, you know, just lay off. That makes sense. <laughs> I want you to concentrate, or concentrate, consecrate the people today and tomorrow. And he says, on the third day, I am coming to you at Mount Sinai. I'm going to come down on the mountain on the third day, and I'm going to meet with you. But this is what I need you to do. I need you to construct some kind of a... Uh, traffic cone, barrier, police tape around the base of the mountain so that when I come down on the mountain, it is very important that no one touches the mountain. If anyone touches the mountain that I have descended upon, that person will die. 
But when you hear the trumpet blast on the third day, when you hear the trumpet blast, I'm inviting you to come to the base of the mountain. Don't touch the mountain, but come to the base of the mountain and to meet with me, God meeting his people. And so Moses went down. He told the people to get ready. In three days, the God that you saw perform all of these miraculous things on your behalf is going to come down and say hello for the first time. Exodus 19, verse 16 tells us, So it came about on the third day when it was morning. There was thunder. There was lightning flashes. There was a thick cloud upon the mountain, a very loud trumpet sound. And all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. Did you guys feel the earthquake last night? There's another one. Had kind of a punch to it. Nanilchuk, 3.6. Shimmied my bed. The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. God spoke, or sorry, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. So God descended on the mountain, and he calls Moses up to the mountain. So all the people are behind the barrier. No one is to touch the mountain. He calls Moses to come up to the mountain. Moses goes up to the mountain, and God says, I need you to go back down the mountain, and I need you to tell the people they must not touch the mountain while my presence is here. And Moses actually says, I already told them. And God says, I want you to go down. I want you to tell them again. Remind them. Don't step foot on the mountain. So Moses went down. He reminded the people. And then he invited Aaron to come back up. But when the people saw the lightning and the thunder and the smoke, the earth quaking and the sound of trumpets coming from the mountain, they all together said to Moses as he came back down, uh, we think it would be better if you talk to God. Uh, in fact, they said, um, if he is to talk to us, uh, we don't think we'll survive. Uh, we will probably die. And Moses replied, to this expression of concern. He says, God is revealing himself in this way, which, as you can imagine, was, was very impressive and somewhat terrifying to some. God is revealing himself in this way so that the fear of you will be, or the fear of him will be in you, and that that fear of him in you will motivate you to avoid sin. And so Moses went back up the mountain. After reminding the people to stay back, he went back up the mountain into the smoke onto the mountain to meet with God. And God began to lay out for Moses some of the additional terms of the covenant. It's interesting. He covers a few things right off the bat, including personal rights, property rights, resting on the Sabbath. He lays out the basics of some of the annual feasts where they celebrate God together as a people. He talks to them about uh, regarding strangers in your midst and how you're to care for people who don't have a place and the poor. 
And then he reminds them yet again, and you shall have no other gods before me. And God invited uh, Moses, so Moses went back down. He gave them this, this additional uh, terms of the covenant. All the people said, yes, we agree. So Moses built an altar. He read the covenant. The people said, we do. And Moses took the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkled them. And then God invited Moses and Aaron and Moses' two sons and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders up to the mountain to share a meal with him. And it says that they went up the mountain and they shared a meal with God. But God does something here in this portion of the story. Remember, two weeks ago, he said, if you will say yes to my invitation, you will become a special treasure. Remember that? A special people. Above all the peoples of the earth, you will be special to me. Now God is going to explain what it means to be his special people. What, is that, what are the perks that come along with that? Listen to what he says. Exodus 23, verse 23, My angel will go before you, bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them, break their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. I will remove sickness from your midst. There will be no miscarrying, no barrenness in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days, meaning long life. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come, and I will make all of your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. And I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you will drive them out before you. So, to summarize, just quickly, there's four things that he's promised them here. The first thing is, if you can go ahead and put that up, he says, I'm going to give you a place to live, right? The promised land, the land that he had told Abraham would be his children's. I'm going to protect you from all threats while you live in the land. I'll make sure that none of your enemies have power over you. I will ensure that you are physically healthy, right? And I will ensure that you are provided for. You will have, what does he say? I will bless your, your bread and your water. God communicates to his people that he plans to take responsibility to give them everything that they are designed to naturally need. He clarifies this in Leviticus 26. This is just an additional clarification of the same promises. Leviticus 26, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I will give you rain in their season so the land will yield its produce and the tree of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering. Your grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. 
And I shall also grant peace in the land so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land and no sword will pass through your land. You will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn towards you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. And yet in this time, and remember he mentioned this when we talked about this two weeks ago, he adds in one other critical piece, verse 11. He says, moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. So he adds a fifth component to the promise. He says, I will give you a place to live. I will protect you from all threats in that place. I will ensure that you are physically healthy, that your needs are met, that you're provided for, and I will give you the gift of my presence with you. Keep in mind, they haven't received these things yet, right? These are a promise of what is ahead. There's going to be some battles, some sacrifice, some challenges, but God has promised to be the source of providing all of these things for his people. Can I just say, that's pretty great. It's a pretty good deal. Wouldn't you agree? Can you think of anything that's not on that list? Moses went back up onto the mountain for 40 days. 40 days ago is June 22nd. Do you remember what you were doing on June 22nd? I was leading summer camp with a bunch of kids out at the Anchor River. June 22nd. We were at summer camp. Yeah. 40 days. 40 days. Put the list back up one more time, Emily. These are the promises of God. In 40 days, the people abandoned God, abandoned Moses as their leader, took up an offering and used the jewelry, the gold, and the silver of the offering to build an idol, a calf made of gold, appointed Aaron as the leader of this new religion. declared a special day, a feast, a celebration to this new God. And then on that special day, everyone brought sacrifices to offer to this new God. Forty days. That's a pretty quick turnaround. There's a lot of discussion right now, today, and it's an important discussion, and it is a discussion that you should engage. And the discussion is about what of these promises of the old covenant are transferable to the new covenant. So we're under a different covenant, right? Remember, we talked last week, what was the weakness of the old covenant? What was the weakness? 
It was conditioned on their obedience, right? And the scripture makes it very clear. The weakness of the old covenant was the flesh, right? They couldn't pull it off. The new covenant is based on the righteousness of Jesus, right? Which, is, which by faith we have received as a gift when we're united with him. And there's a lot of discussion, and it's an important discussion, it's a relevant discussion, as to whether or not, say, something like physical health. Is that something that's a guarantee of the new covenant, or is it not? Uh, financial provision, is that something that's a guarantee in the new covenant, just like it was in the old covenant, or not? And I would say you should engage that discussion, just not this morning. I want to talk about something else. I think there's actually two things that regardless of whether we agree on the answer to that question, there are two things that we can agree on much uh, more easily. The first one of this, can we agree that all of these promises will be fully and finally realized when Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth, when he returns? Can we agree on that, right? That's a pretty simple point, that Jesus is coming back, and this is going to be our new reality, right? Revelations 21, verse 2, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, any crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. If you read the rest of Revelations 21 and 22, you will see this list. He gives them a new, a new city, a new Jerusalem, right? He says, I have driven out every threat. There will be no pain. He says, the, the tree of life is available for your healing, all of your needs will be provided, and in fact, it says there will be no sun or stars or moon because the light of God's presence will illuminate that new city. And then Revelations 22, 7, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Here's the second thing I, I think we can agree on. Pull up that list one more time, Emily. Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. And 40 days, they had turned to idols. We're waiting on this future full fulfillment, right? That's going to happen. The second thing I think we can agree on is that from the time that Jesus went up into the clouds until his shortly thereafter return, we're pretty quick to build some idols. Is that fair? And I would say the idols that we're the quickest to build is this list. We serve these things, right? Jesus says, I'm going to go up into the presence of God, and I'm going to be right back. This is all in front of you, so don't forget that, right? This is all what's ahead for you. That's the promise. God says, I'm going to bring you there. He's been gone a little while. Maybe it's up to us. 
Jesus said, I'm going to go. I'm going to deliver on these promises, but I'm going to go and I'm going to return. And what I ask that you would do in the meantime is follow my commandments and honor our covenant. An idol is anything that we desire, pursue, or serve more than God in his presence. So what are you doing while he's still on the mountain? A lot of us are arguing over which of these we're actually legitimately entitled to and who should provide them for us. About a month ago, Jenny and I took in a two-day-old little girl. Because somewhere beyond the very important discussion about which of these we're entitled to here and now, you realize that you're living next to people who don't have any of these. And you make a decision. We could be their place to live. We could be the ones to provide protection from threats to ensure physical health and provision. And how? Now granted, this is just one way, our story right now. How? By fully owning this reality that we are God's presence on the earth in the time between his ascent into the clouds and his return on the clouds. We are his presence. God, as I look at the world around, there's so much bitter contention over what we should have and must have and will have and I know in my own life how quickly those requirements become their own form of idolatry as I lose track of serving you in the meantime and am focused on serving my own self, my own needs, my own situation and comfort. And yet you have made this promise that you are returning very quickly and that in the time frame of you being a way that we are to be, your presence, your hands and feet, your loving uh, 
touch, your caring concern. For those that have no place, no protection, no promise of provision. And so would you help us to step outside of ourselves, to, to believe and embrace more fully the gravity, the expansive promises that you have given us about what lies ahead, to truly believe that you are going to bring it about. the time between now and then, we could reach out our arms and grab a hold of others to usher them into that new kingdom with you. May we respond to your call. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.